Okay. Uh, I don't know if you're aware of this, but this is the last talk in our series in the book of 1 John. And so if you're joining us for the first time, first of all, thank you for being here. If you're joining us on, online, uh, thank you for joining us. Um, we're going through a series in the book of 1 John called Love One Another. And we've been uh, walking through this book for several weeks. And here we are in 1 John chapter 5. And so open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 5. Before we get into this, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for gathering us here today. We pray that you would give us listening ears, open hearts to all that you would have for us. Holy Spirit, we ask that you just direct our time here. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the life that it brings. We thank you for the truth that's found there. Protect us from embracing lies and, and help us, Lord, instead uh, to respond faithfully to the truth of your word today. It's a gift to us. Help us to treat it as such. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, what are things in your life that you are absolutely sure of? Maybe it's your commitment to your spouse or your commitment to your children or your commitment to your job. Maybe it's the reality that you know, you're certain of, that, that you will die one day. A little morbid, I know. The Apostle John is, is writing to followers of Jesus, and he wants them to know with absolute certainty, 100% certainty, about the life they have in Jesus. Because he knows if they have this certainty of the life they have in Jesus, that it will produce a new boldness and a new freedom before God. And it puts within them a new testimony that keeps them centered on Jesus. And so with that in mind, let's look at 1 John chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Three words I pray we take with us here this morning from this text. Assurance, confidence, and declaration. First, let's look at assurance. Certainty of life in Jesus. We see this in verse 13. John is writing to those who believe in the name of the Son of God. The name of the Son of God. The name. You know, we pray in Jesus' name. The name means a lot. It's meaning the whole person or everything that name stands for. The fullness of the person. When we pray in the name of Jesus, that's what we're saying. 
and the fullness and the authority of this person, of Jesus, the Son of God. And so he's writing to those who believe in the name of the Son of God, to those who have the testimony of God already within themselves. If you remember last Sunday, we looked at the testimony of God himself about his Son, and we saw this in chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. Look with me. And this is the testimony that God gave, that God gave. God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. That's God's testimony. And for those who have believed God's testimony, it's now their testimony. And that's to whom uh, John is writing. And his goal, his, his reason for writing, he says it here in verse 13, that you might know that you have eternal life, that you might know. He wants those to whom he's writing to have assurance. The churches that he's caring for through this letter, he wants them to have assurance, a certainty. And in fact, the word know is used seven times in this short text that we've read. You know, some people say you can't be certain about anything. And they're very certain about that. John would disagree. He wants believers in Jesus, followers of Jesus, to have certainty of eternal life. And he says they can. They can know that they have eternal life. And if you were with us last week, we learned that this word eternal life, is not just life in the future, in the age to come, though it is that, it's, it's age to come life now. You see, we live in the present age, a present age filled with uh, brokenness and sin and, and evil and pain and misery. But we know there is an age to come where God will wipe every tear away. Sin will be eradicated. Wholeness and restoration will be what we experience. But we experience that age to come life now in Christ Jesus. By faith in him, we are made new creations in Christ. The, new, the old is gone, the new has come. We're born again. New life. We experience that now. This age to come life, this eternal life can be experienced now. And so we live in the overlap between this present age and the age to come. And he wants them to know that they have this life. Now, have you ever owned something that you felt so unworthy of or just seemed too good to be true? I know that's been true of me over the years. I think about when I... Uh, owned my first car. Oh, man. It was a Pontiac, two-door Pontiac Grand Am. All right? Nothing fancy, but it was mine. And I, I could drive around town. I could drive myself to school. I didn't have to wait for the bus. It was exciting. I couldn't believe it. Or what about when, we, uh, when Val and I bought our first house? You know, we had lived in an apartment for a couple years, and this apartment was like, you know those spaces at Ikea that you see? They've, they've squeezed a lot of furniture in one little corner. That was our apartment. And so when we bought a two-bedroom, one-bath, we were just like, we're living in a mansion. Can you believe it? Listen, echo, echo. It was just, we didn't have enough furniture to fill it. It was so exciting. It almost seemed too good to be true. I think that's how it is sometimes when we think about the benefits that come to us through Jesus. John is writing to people just like you and me with all kinds of doubts, all kinds of questions and fears, but they need to be encouraged and reminded of what they possess, what they have because of Jesus. The false teachers who we've learned about throughout the series, 
people who were part of this church community at one time and who had gone out from them, they had embraced things about Jesus that were not true, that the apostles didn't teach, that Jesus himself didn't teach. They embraced uh, what they would have called something that brought them enlightenment, something new about Jesus. And they, they were false teachers and they were influencing this church community. They had gone out from them and John calls them antichrists. And truly, it's a good word because they were anti-anointed one. Anti-anointed one people. They were against the anointed one, Jesus, the Messiah. They were against him. They had put ideas and thoughts into the heads and hearts of this church community. And so John is writing to warn this church, but to encourage this church that you don't need what they're telling you that you need. You don't need anything beyond what Jesus has already offered and who he is. He's just painting this clear picture of salvation in Christ. And we've received that through this, through this series. But maybe you lack assurance. Maybe you're wrestling with certainty. Do you wonder if the life Jesus offers is actually possible to have? To really know with absolute certainty that you have it. You know, there are all kinds of reasons why we waver when it comes to assurance. I think of temptations, our own struggles with sin. I think of trials in our life. I think of feelings. Our feelings, yeah, they can be all over the place sometimes. What about circumstances or just straight misunderstanding the gospel truths? Or about other people telling us that we need something else in addition. All kinds of things can contribute to a lack of assurance. Or maybe we didn't realize that we can have this kind of certainty. Maybe you've experienced betrayal or hurt from people within the church. Even leaders who have let you down. Maybe you've experienced a church split or bitter division among those who would say you should walk in love. And they weren't modeling it at all. And you're unsettled within. And that's shaken you. I think that's what the church community of John's day was experiencing. They were unsettled. People that they knew and loved had gone out from them and embraced false doctrine. And, and it was very unsettling. And what John is saying to them, and, and now we're receiving, is go back, go back to everything that is true about the Son of God and find the sweet assurance that's there, that is meant to comfort you, that is, is meant to strengthen you. Go back to what is true about the Son of God. Your assurance is not dependent on your feelings. Your assurance is not dependent on your experience, not your past experience. And John is not writing off any feelings or experience. He's not saying those things don't matter. And I'm not saying that either. You may have a terrible experience with the church, but you're still here today, and the truth is, the reality of who God is in Christ, the truth of the Son of God doesn't change. It doesn't change. Your assurance is not dependent on your feelings or your experience. It's rooted, it should be rooted, in the facts about Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God. This assurance, this assurance of eternal life, of age-to-come life, well, it brings with it confidence. Confidence. And that's number two, confidence. Boldness and freedom in God's presence. You see, John knew that assurance, this sweet certainty, would bring with it confidence. And so he goes on uh, to say in verse 14, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, 
that if we ask anything according to his will, he, he hears us. So why does John go straight from assurance of eternal life to confidence in prayer? Because prayer is about relationship with God, primarily. Think of it this way. My children, my, my, my three boys, they can ask me anything. They can come right to me. No hesitation. They have free access, complete freedom, and, and they take advantage of it. But they come to me, and I don't shun them. I don't push them away. Like Maybe when I'm watching The Mandalorian, but that's it. And here's, here's why. Certainty of my love for them has created an atmosphere of freedom and boldness. Certainty of my love for my boys creates an atmosphere where they can boldly come to me with the craziest things sometimes. But they have the freedom to do so. And so as, as certainty of God's love grows in our hearts, so will boldness and freedom to go before him in prayer. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Now, prayer is not a remote control where we, we control God. Prayer is not an, like an ATM machine or a snack machine where we're pressing the right buttons to get what we want. That's not what prayer is. Prayer is relationship. It's relational. It's communion with the living God. And when we pray according to his will, and we've been taught this by Jesus, your will be done. So he instructed us to pray that way. It's a bold, faith-filled prayer, by the way. Your will be done. Your will be done. When we pray for his will to be done, when we seek out what pleases God and pray according to that, we know that he hears us, John says. Now think about that for a moment. Don't move on too quickly. We know that he hears us. God hears you. You have God's attention. I want you to let that sink in. Let, just, it's hard to grasp. It's one of those things that seems too good to be true. It's hard to grasp. Try to grasp it. Let it grasp you. Let it do to you what it's intended to do, and that is to stir within our hearts a confidence, a boldness, a freedom. He hears me. He hears me. He welcomes me, and Jesus has paved the way for us to come boldly before the throne of grace, boldly before God. And so we can, with 100% certainty, know that he hears us. When we pray this way, God, would you bring salvation? Would you draw those who are far from you near? Would you bring glory to your name in the life of my child? Would you help me to grow in holiness? When we pray prayers like that, we can, with 100% certainty, know that he hears us. Now, verse 15 and if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Now, God might answer prayer in a way we never expected. Doesn't he often do that? <laughs> but he will always hear us. He will always answer. And local church St. Pete, listen, you are a testimony to God's faithfulness and answered prayer. The church is almost two years old. Can you believe it? It's hard to believe but I've had this front row seat at God's faithfulness and answered prayer. I've seen him meet us every step of the way. And as a Christian, 
as a follower of Jesus first and as a, a pastor second, this is what I've learned in this journey of planting, of beginning a new church. God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness. As we pray, as we cry out to him, he meets us. And there's been big things, right? Like, where were we going to meet after we started at Mount Vernon Elementary School and we couldn't meet in their cafeteria anymore and this space was not available? Lord, what are you going to do? How are you going to show yourself faithful? Five years before planting a church, this is the space I dreamt of meeting in. And the Lord was like, here you go. Here it is. It was vacant for years. Beyond that, what? We've asked the Lord, would you bring in those in this neighborhood, in this city, who have never read the Bible, have never understood the gospel, that we, we could share that truth with them? He's done it. God, would you, would you save individuals who are far from you and draw them near and help them to see that this living, breathing relationship with you, the living God, is made possible through your son Jesus, and he's doing it. Would you bring in... Christians who are wandering about without a church community and disconnected and maybe uh, discouraged because of their past experience, would you bring them here to find life and relationship again? And he's doing it every step of the way, financially, personally. And not only have I been able to get this front row seat corporately to what God's doing, but individually in your lives, providing jobs, blessing with children, Bringing through trials, dark stuff. He's faithful. It's strengthened my faith for sure. It's encouraged my heart. It's reminded me of the priority of praying, and we will not stop praying as a church. We can't. Yet, weeks like this week have been difficult. I did not feel like praying. I did not feel God's presence, and I had to prepare a sermon, and it was difficult. And I reached out to friends after laboring for hours for clarity, and they prayed for me. And there was breakthrough, truly. Thursday morning, Spirit of God really brought some clarity. In a short amount of time, it was like laid out. It was hard. I needed this passage up in my face again. Get in my grill. Get in my face. I needed it. That's what God's word does. It gets in our face. We need it to do that. Look with me in verses 16 now. Verse 16 and 17. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. We'll pause there. Here's this specific request. In light of the confidence John has been talking about uh, that you can have before God in prayer, here's a specific request. These are prayers for brothers and sisters in Christ who are caught in sin. And, And John is saying, when someone's sin is before you, whether they've confessed it or whether you've observed it, uh, then you can uh, you can pray for them, and you should pray for them. But what's our knee-jerk reaction oftentimes to people? when we either see them sinning, we've heard about it, or they've come to us. We get real discouraged. Oh my goodness. It's dark. You know, as if we never could fall prey to things like that. A little self-righteous sometimes. I'm not saying it happens all the time that way. but Or maybe we say, uh, here's a book you could read. Here's a counselor that I really like. Here's a pa- Go see the pastor. 
What if we do what John is saying? We pray. We pray for our brothers and our sisters who are caught in sin. We join them in the resistance against sin through prayer. So John mentions two categories, though. One, sin that does not lead to death. And the second category, sin that does lead to death. Now, scholars have debated for a long time what he, what he means by this. And I've wrestled with it. And uh, Chuck Redding, who's part of our first gathering, uh, he, has, um, he has a garage. I took my car to him on Monday, got an oil change. And he's like, hey, are you talking about that controversial verse in chapter 5, verse 16 and 17? I'm like, yeah, it's there. We're going to hit it. What is sin that leads to death? Is it a sin that leads to the person's actual death? Like you're sinning to the, and, and in that sin, it, it kills you. Is it the ongoing rejection of Jesus and his saving power? Is it that he's referring to the false teachers and those antichrists, the ones that he's been warning the church against, who have embraced false teaching and have this blatant ongoing rejection of the truth? Yes, I think that's it. I think so. Now, here's the encouraging part. If you desire repentance, you don't have to fear that you've fallen into this sin. If you have a desire to be made right. I think John is referring to those false teachers with this blatant, ongoing rejection of the truth. And he isn't saying to write them off. He isn't saying to hate them. But John's main point is that the church should pray for those caught in sin and who want help. And that speaks to the importance of community. That speaks to the importance of confession. It speaks to the importance of sharing burdens and of the importance of humility. Do you remember when, um, before Peter betrayed Jesus, or denied Jesus, rather, um, Jesus prayed for him. He says, I've prayed for you. Satan has requested to sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you. I've prayed for you. And when you're restored, encourage your brothers. Jesus models this kind of prayer for for others. Have you experienced the grace that comes from confession of going to a brother or sister and asking them to pray with you about something? Have you experienced the grace that comes when someone just comes out of the blue, someone that you know and they know you and they've come alongside you and they they challenge you on something, but they, they, they offer prayer? They're not just sniffing around for sin. They're not not doing that. They love you. They care for you. They're coming alongside you, and they want to pray for you. Have you joined with others in in their fight against sin through prayer? Has that ever been your experience? I want to show you Galatians chapter 1. This is a sweet passage that actually models this and, and encourages it. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, any sin... You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. So if if you see a brother or a sister, someone in Christ who's caught in sin, you who are spiritual, you're not better than them, uh, but but you're not caught. You you should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, not arrogance, not pride as as if you're a better Christian than he or she is, but in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, though, lest you too be tempted. And then look with me in James. 
James chapter 5. James has just talked about the power of prayer. And then in in James 5, verse 19, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. What's going on here? Intervention is what's going on here. Care. Care. Love. And it requires taking sin and its consequences seriously. And it requires a willingness to get involved. Have you positioned yourself within this church community to be able to do this? To pray for others caught in sin. Humbly. But courageously. With confidence. Watch what God will do when we practice this more and more. Now, I talked about discipleship groups, and that's the perfect place for this kind of stuff to happen. When I'm walking arm in arm with a brother, and I know they love me and they're for me, and they've seen this pattern of sin, maybe I've confessed it over and over and over, and they're just like, man, I'm, gonna st- I'm standing with you in prayer. Come on, let's, let's, let's attack this together. I'm with you. When I know I've got a brother with me, oh, that brings so much strength. They're standing with me. Assurance, confidence, finally, declaration. Declaration. This is a testimony that keeps us centered on Jesus, and that's how John chooses to end this beautiful letter. It is, this letter, as you can tell, it's, it's artistic, it's proverbial. It's, uh, this is a very wise apostle who is writing out these truths for us to embrace and run with. He's protecting the church. He's encouraging the church to whom he's writing. And now we've received this. And how does he choose to end this letter? He chooses to end with this declaration, a declaration of certainty. Let's read it. Verse 18. We know, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, But he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. And we know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son Jesus Christ. He is the true, or literally the real God and eternal life. Okay. Declaration of certainty is what's happening here. This, John says, is our testimony. He includes himself. These benefits belong to us here and now, so don't forget it. You know, we have statements of faith that remind us of what is central to our faith. You can go on our website and find our sta- a link to our statement of faith. Governments have a declaration helping us see what is central to that government. John is declaring what is true of all those who are born of God. Of all those who are born of God. And it is a declaration of certainty. And he says, we know everyone born of God won't keep on sinning. They won't go on sinning. Meaning, they won't have this continuous habit of life. A lifestyle. Living okay in their sin. There's a wrestling match. I'm not saying that Christians don't have patterns of sin in their life and common struggles. No. 
We all have got our issues and our struggles, but we shouldn't allow that to just go on happy-go-lucky. Undealt with. As if it doesn't matter to God and it doesn't matter to us. No, for those who are born of God, they won't keep on in a lifestyle of sin. He's not talking about sinless perfection. Don't forget what he said just before this passage. Those who are born of God, they cannot live indifferent to sin. And when you see someone sinning, join with them in prayer. And so there's that understanding that it's, 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 you're going to fight, you're going to wrestle, and there's a way to do it. But you're not to have this ongoing lifestyle where you're settled in it and it's fine with you. You can't live indifferent. But then there's this amazing promise found in the second half of verse 18. And I think we can miss it if we're not careful. It says, but he who was born of God protects him, protects the one who is born of God. And the evil one does not touch him. So who is he talking about? And this is so, so exciting. It's, it's good news for us. He's talking about Jesus. Jesus protects those who are born of God. And the evil one can't lay a hand on us. We're no match for the evil one. Not alone. But we have an, an elder brother who stands for us. Like a brother on the playground, an older brother getting in the way of that bully. And so you got to go through me to get to him. Jesus came to defeat the devil. He came to destroy his work. And listen to what he says. The evil one does not touch him. You can't touch me. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Jesus protects me. You know, the one who conquered sin and death. It's an amazing promise. Hold on to it. Verse 19, we know where we're from. Oh, the whole world is under the power of the evil one. In other portions of scripture, it talks about the evil one as the ruler of this world. But John says, but we know where we're from. And I love this passage in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, where Paul writes to the church and he says, Oh, God, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Oh, we've been delivered from the domain of darkness. And the word transfer, it's like being picked up and carried on, our shoulder, on, on a shoulder, transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son. And that's where we live. That's where we're from. We know where we're from. We know, verse 20, the son of God has come in the flesh and he has given us understanding and this is where Paul, or John rather, he's taking a jab at those false teachers, those who have gone out from the community. He's taking one last jab because he says this, we know that the Son of God has come in the flesh, which they were fighting against, and, and we know that he has given us understanding, which is the capacity to know. Where these who had gone out were saying, you need to be enlightened. We know something that you don't. And John's saying, no, no, no. Jesus has come. Jesus has come in the flesh and he's given us the capacity to know. Jesus came that we might know him who is true. That we might know the living God 
And we are in him who is true and in his son, John says. Wait a minute. We're in him who is true and in his son. Which is it? Yes. Yes. One and the same experience is speaking of that abiding, that relationship with the living God. This is declaration. This is declaration of certainty. It's our testimony. It's our story now for those who are in Christ. And he says, keep this in mind. Run with this. It will keep you centered. That's what he's saying, essentially. Verse 20, the second half of verse 20, he says, he is the true or the real God and eternal life. Who? Well, some say he's referring to God the Father as the true God and eternal life. Others say he's referring to the Son. Grammatically, it would normally refer to the nearest subject. And so uh, I think it refers to Jesus, who's already been talked about as the one in whom we find eternal life. And it wouldn't be the first time that John actually refers to Jesus as God. You can read about it in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1 and verse 17. But whether this is actually speaking about God the Father being the real God, the true God, or God the Son, we're speaking of one God. One God. The true God. The real God. The one in whom eternal life is found. And so the last loving, very endearing statement that John makes just makes total sense. Verse 20, little children, dear children, keep yourselves from idols. And so like a father speaking to his child about what matters most, John tells them to be vigilant, to keep, to guard against idolatry. Why? Because they were going to have to continue to guard against false ideas about God, false ideas about Jesus that had been promoted in their community and outside of their community, in their culture that they lived in. Whether it was from the pagan temples or what I think was from those false teachers that had gone out and painted this distorted picture of of who Jesus really is. And do you know we need to work through that as well? And so if you deny something true about Jesus, you deny something true about God. And so essentially he's saying, watch out for the counterfeits. Beware of the imitations. Reject any and every substitute. Keep away from it. Don't abandon the real for the fake. Don't move away from what is true about the real God. And local church, that's what I'm saying here this morning to us. Watch out for the counterfeits. They're all around. Watch out for the imitators. Beware of the fake and don't give in. Don't exchange the real for the fake. Look to the real God, the true God, who's revealed in Jesus. Assurance, confidence, declaration. You can know for sure. I don't know if this is the first time you've heard about this kind of certainty. If you've joined us for the first time, whether online or in person, and this is the first time you're hearing about this certainty that you can have through faith in Jesus, first, I'm excited. (laughs) Second, I want to encourage you to put your faith and your trust, your rest, your whole hope in Jesus, who he is and what he accomplished. He is the Son of God. God, who entered space and time and took on the stuff we're made of and lived a perfect life in our place, 
and died a substitutionary death for our sins, was raised to life so that we could have life now and forever. Believe. And belief looks like rest, trust. You don't have to figure it all out, but do you know that about Jesus? Can you hold on to that? And for those who are in Christ, we're still holding on to that. We're still declaring those truths. That's our foundation. And so certainty of life in Jesus, it produces boldness and freedom before God. And it produces a new testimony that keeps us centered on Jesus. And I pray we run with that testimony. Let's pray. Father, thank you for First John. Thank you for what we've learned here about you. Thank you for revealing yourself through your son. Thank you for the testimony about your son that comes directly from you. Thank you for this apostolic witness. Thank you, God, that we have these words, these declarations of what is true that we can fall on and look to and find encouragement. Lord, you know my prayer has been this week that we as a church would grow in our certainty. That we who have put our faith and hope in Jesus would would grow in our assurance that we would, would also grow in our confidence before you in prayer. Help us, Lord, to move forward in this kind of boldness and freedom that's been described. That we would trust you for great things. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.